Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 359 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast, presented by Overdrive. This is Adam by myself today, and today's episode is an interview I did with Elizabeth Yolberg uh, back in New York at BEA on the last day of May, I believe. Uh, Elizabeth writes both YA and middle grade. Uh, her latest YA book is called Past Perfect Life, and that is out uh, now. And it's really good that we talk about this plot twist that she has early on in the book, um, but kind of like her catchphrase for sort of the elevator pitch of it is, you know, what would you do if you woke up and found out that your entire life was a lie? So very, uh, very twisty, very thriller-y. It's really good stuff. And then her middle grade books are all of the Shelby Holmes books, um, which is basically nine-year-old female Sherlock Holmes is kind of the way to, to pitch that. Um, the most recent one is coming out is called Shelby Holmes and the Haunted Hound, which comes out on September 3rd. Uh, we had a blast. She was one of those people that was just instantly super easy to talk to. Uh, we hit it off right away. A lot of joking. We talk about some musical theater. Uh, we talk about why early on in her life she originally hated Sherlock Holmes and then what caused her to change her mind. Uh, we talk about the difference between writing YA and uh, middle grade. I compare middle grade readers to readers of uh, of oh, thrillers, like kind of like middle-aged white men, which is pretty fun. Um, yeah, we have a lot of fun there. And I have to tell you guys, you obviously can't see me, but today uh, our entire office, we like to do fun uh, kind of dress up days every once in a while and there's over 300 people here and uh, today is a Hawaiian shirt day and it took everything in me to not say mahalo to all of you guys when I said hello introducing this podcast because there are well over half of everyone who works here is wearing a ridiculous Hawaiian shirt today which is a lot of fun that's apropos of nothing for this particular podcast I was just looking down at my shirt and all I want to do is uh, you know hit you guys up with some double shakas, the uh, the old hang hang loose and say mahalo and, and tell you to live easy and all that good jazz. Um, sorry, I'm rambling. It's Friday. I've had a lot of coffee. Uh, so you guys will be listening to this on a Monday, though. So I'm sorry that my fun Friday mood, I hope it infects your Monday mood if, if you're having the Sunday scaries into the Monday also scaries. All right, I'm rambling. This is why I shouldn't be doing these alone. If you guys want to connect with us you can always find us on instagram and twitter at pro book nerds or you can just go to our website professionalbooknerds.com where you'll find our email address uh you have the ability to subscribe to our podcast on the various places if you want to uh find us on stitcher or iHeartRadio or itunes any of those places wherever you're listening to us if you wouldn't mind if you go in and give us a quick five-star review and just leave a sentence about what you like about the podcast that really helps people find us a little bit more easily you can do that on itunes or really anywhere else that you are listening to us um I think that might be just about everything. So I'm going to go back to my luau. Just kidding. going to go back to my desk and do more work. Very exciting life. Uh, I hope you guys have a wonderful day. And I hope you enjoy this interview I did with Elizabeth Yulberg on the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. Hey everybody, it's Adam and I'm hanging out at Book Expo America and today I'm joined by Elizabeth Yulberg. 
Yes. Did hello. I, I, I should have asked you did, that no, before. You got it. I re- just realized you before got we started it. recording. Good for you. I've heard so much. You did it correct. Okay, Spielberg. well, I took a real shot there without asking you ahead of time. Which is good, because I would have. this interview would be very short then. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. and Elizabeth has walked away. Yeah. yeah. Um, best-selling author of both YA and middle grade content books specifically <laughs> uh, she spent most of her career in the publishing business preferring not to tell her own stories instead of promoting other people's she has not one but two new books coming out that we're going to chat about past perfect life and the latest shelby home story but first hello and thank you for joining us hello, today thank you for having me okay so normally we ask authors like Please start a conversation by telling us about your book. But do you want to do Shelby Holmes or Past Perfect Life first? Oh my goodness! We'll we'll, we'll do Past Perfect Life first. Yeah. That's just I was signing that yesterday, so it's a friend of mine. Yeah, it's like those mine. old like R.L. Stein Choose Your Own Adventure books. Yeah, so that's, that's like, how this podcast one? is going to be. So okay, so I'm 100 not going to be the person who talks about the plot of this book. <laughs> I know. So I want to hear your elevator pitch. We just talked about this. Your publicist is sitting here, so if you say yes. too much, we're going to have to do. She, this she's going to kick me under the table. That's so right. I have to be careful. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's it's funny because. Um, it's hard to talk about past perfect life in some respects, but it's basically about this young girl um, named Allie who lives in a very small uh, town with her widowed father, and she really loves her life. She's getting nervous about going to college because she doesn't like change, and she applies to college, and it gets bounced back because there's a problem with her social security number, and she finds out her entire life is a lie. <laughs> so... But fun times for her. Uh, yeah, so that's, uh, yeah. Okay, so. That's I feel un- like that's intriguing. No, People I, are like, is. what? I'm glad that you said it that way because I probably would have actually said, because there's a plot twist that happens yes. pretty early. Yeah, it's like page 60, I think. Yeah. yeah. And so that's actually something I wanted to ask you about, not the plot twist specifically. People have to read the book. To yes, get that uh, yes. But a lot of authors like to do plot twists, like at the very end, like, Dun dun dun! Like the whole Agatha Christie situation, but you chose to put it at the at the beginning and then tell a story that bounces off of that. So, what made you want to have that decision of being the crux of the story being after this huge life changing thing, as opposed to that being the thing that like blows our minds? Yeah. And then I originally, when I came up with this idea, the original title that I wanted to have was before slash after because it's a lot of the book is. You know, her, before, you know, so you see what her life is like. But then it's the fallout of understanding what this means. Like, everything she thought she knew about her history and past isn't true. And then it's looking at what exactly that means for her. Because I feel like most of the drama is after. Yeah. You know, you find this out and she keeps finding out things that she didn't know about people she didn't know about. And then it's, well, you now have to live this other life. And... It's not the life that she wanted to live, and she's kind of forced to do a few things. And I felt like that was more interesting um, because I got the idea from a story I saw on the news of this actually happening to someone. Oh, really? Yeah. And, um, and, and that was it. I, I saw this story. It was national news. And the local sheriff said, can you just imagine finding out your entire life was a lie? And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, you know, and, I, and it was on like two nights in a row. And I, 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 I looked a lot at the original case that yeah. inspired uh, my my book, and it was just interesting because it's actually not that uncommon. I'll just leave Seriously? it at that. Yeah. I, people are probably like screaming, like, yeah. "What are you what talking about?" What is happening? About? They're googling Passport for Life twist. No one can see the like my jaw genuinely like hit the table when you said that that this actually happened to people. Yeah. I, yeah. So. <laughs> I, in, I don't think in I don't think it. 
it goes on as long as it happened to her. But yeah. Okay, so in the in your story, something that I really like is you have these characters that there's not clearly defined good and evil, right and wrong. Like, yeah. There's a lot of shades of like this person wants this type of life for this other character and vice versa. There's there's a lot of like trying to wrestle with okay who's right in the situation. So a is that something that you did by design? And B, was that how the real life story was as well? <laughs> it was funny when I was working on the first draft, um, my agent at the time was saying to me, oh, this doesn't feel like accurate. And I was like, well, this is actually from the original. Yeah. Like the feelings that this character has towards her father are very much the, the, what happened to this, this her, the, the public um, case that I was following. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the hardest thing is there isn't a cut and dry. Like I think in the book, every character is trying to do their best and make mistakes like we are not perfect. Right. And it was funny, my mom was reading this book when I was home. That was stressful at Christmas. I'm like, oh, you're just going to pick it up in front of me? Okay, I'm going to leave, you know? But my my dad was driving me to the airport. My mom's in the backseat reading it. She was getting towards the end. At one point, she just went, ah, and shut it. And I go, what's you okay? And she just was like, it's so frustrating because I have such conflicting feelings about all the different characters right now because there's no easy answer. Right. And that's the thing. It's It was really difficult writing this book because when, as an author, you need to know what your character wants and how to get them that. Yeah. But in this book, my character wants to go back to the life that she had, but that is impossible. Mm -hmm. Like, that is not something that she can do. And so I'm writing from a point of view of someone who doesn't know what she's wanting and is really conflicted. And that was really hard for me. And then seeing all of the surrounding characters and their good and their bad and, you know, people thinking they're doing what's best. Yeah. And expectations. and Well, and not only that, like, I... I love stories about teenagers in YA that are written well because no teenager in the world has experiences something on like a straight line. Oh it's, yeah, we all were teens. One almost one hundred percent of people who yeah were yeah were teens I know one hundred percent. No fake news. No, but they, <laughs> but they, none of us when we were teenagers experienced one emotion about anything. Like even people that you thought you were in love with, like it's like no 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 you there you loved them one day and you hated them the next day yeah. and then you wished that they would never leave you the third. And that's why I'm so attracted to these characters because your mom's frustration. Yeah. I think that's the best type of story is when, as an author, you can make someone kind of yell at a character. Be like, yeah. why are you reacting the way that you are? Yeah, and, and it was... Yeah, and it's true. And, you know, and there was, like, one chapter where her emotions bounce all over the place and she's aware of it. Mm-hmm. Now, like, now I'm angry, now I'm sad, yeah. now I... And, and one of my favorite lines that I wrote in the book is something along the lines of, how can I be so angry at someone but still love them? Uh-huh. And I think that's true, is that, you know, she got betrayed by the person that she loved and trusted the most. Mm-hmm. And you can't go back to that, but you, she still has this history yeah. that she can't disregard. Well, I think that I think that happens in real life with people, too, when it comes to you know think, thinking of teens and relationships. Like... Perfect example is I had a girlfriend when I was in high school and like through college that we should never have dated. We were just like oil and water, and like even now, like we would see each other, but like I would still like have these like things like conjure up in my mind where like I'll think like nostalgic for a half a moment. I'm oh, in my thirties yeah. and I'll see her every once in a yeah. while, and I'll be like, "Oh, that you know what? That wasn't so bad." And like you, even though the horrible things that we said to each other. You still can't always hate someone that oh, yeah. you cared that deeply for. Yeah, and especially when people have 
what they think are good intentions at the time. And sometimes it's not the best intentions for everybody involved. So, yeah, it was a very difficult story to write. And I also knew it wasn't going to have a perfect happy bow ending. Yeah. Like, there are just some stories that just don't have that. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been unrealistic for this story to, like... Oh well, wash my hands of it. Yeah. That's exactly how it should end. Now, well, it was funny last last night. I was I um, I was out and I was talking to a producer. No big deal. And I and <laughs> like so I'm telling her everything. Right, I'm telling her every plot detail. I tell her how it ends, and then she's like, "But what happens after?" And I'm like, "Well, I mean, oh, I can I can tell you what would have happened based on like what happened yeah. previously to the actual person. But you know, but it was one of those when you hopefully when you close this book, you are happy where you know it's going to end up going Mm. but at that point like the journey has happened to where she needs to be at that moment in time well and then there's there's always I'm glad you didn't do this but there's always like the cop out epilogue where like you end a book and you're like wow that was great why do I have 15 pages left in my hand and then you turn the page and it's like three years later everything's sunshine and rainbows you're like I just read 400 pages of a book that this is what the hell I yeah I'm glad you didn't do that yeah no it's like, like, yeah. like the Harry Potter and all was well. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah. And then we find out it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> we won't bring up the... I don't know, we don't know if Tevin's podcast yeah. about the Christian. Um, okay. Let's talk Which about... Which I did see yes. in London and loved it, but though. But, yeah, I was... Yeah. So, I read the... I read it for the thing first. Yeah. yeah. No one can see me rolling my eyes right now, but it's just so <laughs> frustrating. I was just like... I, I mean, I have Harry Potter tattoos all over my arm. Uh, I feel deeply about these... The movies and the books and... <laughs> right, I want to talk Shelby Holmes. Yes. Okay. So Shelby Holmes and the Haunted Hound is your fourth one. Yes. Of these. So what made you want to reimagine Sherlock Holmes for a younger generation? Well, I knew I wanted to start writing middle grade just because I had so many friends do it and have a great time doing yeah. it. And so I was just waiting for a really good idea. And I loved detective novels when I was little, like Nancy Drew, Encyclopedia Brown. Yeah. And I was... I was not a Sherlock Holmes fan growing up because, um, long story short, my brother played Sherlock Holmes in our musical, and I am the most musical member of my family. Wait, musical? Yeah, we my my grade school did a Sherlock Holmes musical, whatever. And it was Wisconsin. That's what we did. But like, I I'm the one who has every lead in every musical. So I walk in. I'm in sixth grade, and I walk in, and be like, "What's my lead role?" They're like, "Oh, Elizabeth." Women apparently didn't exist in the original Sherlock Holmes story. So you're in the choir, and my brother, who is not as musically talented, I say this to his face all the time, like was Sherlock Holmes. So like any normal younger sister, I was like, "Sherlock Holmes is dumb." Like I just wrote him off for years because I just remember my brother and me being in the choir with a page boy hat, like you know, with all the other girls. And um, so everybody's telling me to watch the Sherlock show with uh-huh. the BBC with Benedict Cumberbatch. And I'm like, no. Like, what is it? Like, you would love this. I'm like, pass. So finally, I remember there was a blizzard. I'm like, I guess I'll watch this. And I was like, it's 90 minutes? Like, I just, <laughs> I mean, you made it. Th- like, I was, like, doing surgery. I was getting my teeth pulled. I start watching it. And within the first 10 minutes, I was like, oh, God. Oh, you've been so stubborn. Yep. Like, I forgot why Sherlock Holmes is still around almost two, over 150 years after he was first created is because he's so brilliant. And especially in that um, iteration, Benedict Cumberbatch plays Sherlock Holmes like a spoiled child. Yes. So I'm looking at like him throwing a temper tantrum, him not wanting to talk to anybody. And I think, huh, what if Sherlock Holmes was a nine-year-old girl? Uh Like I just thought it would be so fun. So then... 
I'm watching the rest of the show and I'm starting to put things together. And then, of course, I had to go back and do research on Sherlock Holmes, sure. read the original stories. Yeah. And I just knew it would be so much fun to do, to have a younger version of uh, Sherlock and Watson. The only thing that I'm upset about that answer that you just gave, because it was perfect, was that this isn't a visual medium, so no one could see the epically <laughs> wonderful uh, hair flip that you, that you had. I know. It it's like so I, good. I was like biting my hand not to laugh. Well, probably. it was funny. I originally had a bracelet on that like jingles. I was like, no, you talk with your hands. You can't do that during <laughs> <laughs> but it would just be like a, you know. So when we do our podcast in our studio, we have microphones that do like the kind of hang above because people all the time will come into our podcast. And sorry in advance, everyone, but like they'll do like one of these things. Oh. And the phone we're talking into right now that I use on the app is on the table. Yeah. So people will be like slamming the table. And if it's like a coworker, I can be like, stop doing that. But if it's an author, I just have to be like, hey, I'm going to try and edit out those loud pops you're going to hear. <laughs> but. Um, Okay, back to sorry, no, that, back to, that's <laughs> no, Now I'm like, oh, what yeah. am I doing? No, no, you've been great. Um, so I guess I'm curious because you said you mentioned this. It's, he's been around oh, yeah. for almost 200 years or however long it's been. And there's, you know, there's various iterations. There's TV shows. There there are some other retellings. There's like the uh, the Charlotte Holmes yes. series. Yeah, YA. Really yeah. Um, and I'm just, and this, just curious, why do you think this character has stuck in our minds for so long because I mean he's not unique in the sense of like he's a genius who solves crimes like Hercule Poirot the Agatha Christie books have been around forever and like yes there's been iterations of that but it's nowhere near Sherlock yeah I think it's a few things first of all you know he deductive reasoning was something that wasn't really done and this is true 100% true that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle writes the Sherlock Holmes stories and before him, CSI did not exist. It was not a thing that existed. Police officers in Victorian age would just question witnesses. That's yeah. how they did crime. They didn't even like um, corner off crime scenes. Like yeah. anybody could walk through a crime scene. They just it was all about witnesses. Uh-huh. So Sir Arthur Conan Doyle writes this book. A guy, a police officer in Paris, reads this story and thinks, "Oh, this is how they are now solving crimes in the UK. We should start doing this." The very first crime scene investigation lab was in an attic in in Paris because of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. That's amazing. And so it's this thing where there are other detectives, but the fact that Sherlock Holmes can look at you and be able to figure out all these things, be a genius, but also have such a bad attitude. There's the humor in that, that he just, no time for anybody. And also he has his Watson and... My Watson's very different than the original Watson because my Watson actually gets involved. And as the series goes on, he is learning more and a few times figures out a few things before Shelby. And she should be excited, her, you know, pupil. Yeah. No, she's That's not. not how she's Sherlock. Not. That's not how yes. Sherlock or Shelby works. Yeah. No, I'm always like, there was funny in the fourth book, there was a note from the copy editor about like, oh, would Shelby really be allowed to be out this late? And my reply is, I'm not going to be the one to tell Shelby Holmes what she can and cannot do. She can be, I'm not, I, no, I'm not telling her. Yeah. Like, you, you, you tell her. I'm not. I'm scared of her. So, I write her. So obviously, <laughs> there's. <laughs> I that you won't tell your own character what to do. I don't. So she would not be having it. She's uh, mean. So obviously, <laughs> there is source material for you to work off of, which I imagine is always nice. Yes. But like, this is Hounds of Baskerville. Yes. Hound of the Baskerville. Hound Baskerville. Jesus. Um, I don't want to buy it, but book podcast. <laughs> no, it's okay. Uh, 
how much of the story do you like concern you with concern yourself with like sticking to it because a obviously different audience and you want to your own story but i'm just curious like how much are you like okay i know that i need to hit these specific beats when you're telling a story that's been told in a different medium before so the rest of the books i've very rare like i just get the kernel of the idea in the first book it's based off of um silver blaze which is a horse gets stolen in the middle of the night and has the infamous line curious incident of the dog of the nighttime. And the curious incident was the guard dog didn't bark when the horse was taken. So Sherlock Holmes deduced that the dog knew the person. That's the only thing that I used in that book because that book also has like a murder and all this other stuff which I can't do yeah you know, and, not and, great. and the dancing man as well which is what the third book the great Shelby Holmes and the coldest case it's it's strictly the cipher and how you solve the cipher is what I used but that case is like an affair yeah. that's being covered up there's a murder again a murder at one point and like Shelby would love to solve a murder it's not happening kids are like yeah she should solve a murder I'm like she is nine years old she's not solving a murder like it's not happening but with this because the Hound of the Baskervilles is such a big book there was a lot more to go off of so there are certain beats in that story that I really like like there's one that a clue gets delivered when they ask the person the name in the original they're like oh he said what his name was and they're thinking oh we have a breakthrough that this person who dropped off this like like threatening thing is going to give us a name and they're like what's the name and this guy goes Sherlock Holmes you know and so I was like oh I have to do that because Shelby would love nothing more than someone pretend to be her Mm -hmm. so there were certain things when I was reading the original that I was going off of but and I use the names from the original but not doesn't necessarily mean who was guilty in the original Uh is guilty in mine yeah well I mean because you want to you want to write a book you know even if it's middle grade I always talk to authors who are middle grade or young adult like the best books you can write are stories that the parents want to read too yeah and so that's something where if you're a parent reading a book and you know the story already you're gonna be like oh that's that's who it was but it's, it's always fun to not have that be the, the correct answer and I actually changed my mind halfway through drafting it who did it it was hilarious I thought you know it actually would make more sense mm-hmm. and I've never done that before I always know what I'm doing and I didn't change a single word of the first half because I didn't, because yeah. it, you're not supposed to know who did it anyways. So. Yeah, well, I mean, you can still, there's still, when it comes to books that have, like, a twist. Yeah. It's, I always, every time, I always talk to authors who say, like, it's not fair to just have a twist be something that you couldn't possibly understand. But it's very obvious you can look at a clue and take it a certain way. Yeah. One way or the other, depending on who is the, the guilty party. Like, that's, I think that's fair. My favorite is when I talk to kids who've read the first book. Mm-hmm. And I, if they're not toward they're not finished yet they're like in the middle I'll say to them oh who do you think took a dog at stolen who do you think took the dog and they all say the same person like one or two people and it's not the person who did it they always say it's these two people if they're done reading it they're like oh I knew it was this person I go no you did not I will go no you did not because no one ever knows it's that person so I purposely don't tell my editor who did any of the she knows basically what the case is but I don't tell her because I want to know when she starts figuring out and she's always surprised so if the editor starts figuring stuff out earlier do you go in and change I would change yeah because if you go back and read there'll be like certain things um because when Shelby deduces what happened you you find out like how she came up book four is a little bit different because of the the nature of the case yeah (laughs) it's harder to figure out who 
It's very like twisty. Yeah, I was gonna laugh because if you did talk, because we spent like 15 minutes talking about password life and giving no plot in- information, I was gonna laugh really hard if the if all of a sudden I'm like, well, this person story, did it. Like, I know, what- I know. This person did. Like I know. Yeah. Uh, what feels different for you writing between middle grade and YA? There, it's very different. Like YA, you're allowed to like be very luxurious and emotions mm-hmm. and and feelings. And middle grade, you gotta plot, gotta yeah. just keep it going. And I remember when I sat down to write the first Shelby Holmes book, I, you have to keep the action and the chapter endings have to be in such a way the kids are going to want to turn the yeah. page. And especially with the mystery. So I always have to make sure every book ends with like a clue being discovered, like every chapter ends with a clue being discovered yeah. or like a twist or something. But when I sat down to write the first book, I was like, this is, it's the, one of the hardest ages because they will tell you to your face what they think of you in your book right like there's no being polite because they just don't understand that so I was like I need to start this book off with a bang Mm -hmm. and I was like I'm gonna blow something up and so like page two there's like explosion I was like is that good enough are you entertained honestly it feels it's almost like writing first off I like a light bulb went off talked to a million authors and I've never once realized you're absolutely right like when you're reading a middle grade like stuff happens yeah now so much immediately whereas yeah like YA especially it'll they can it gets there eventually but it's yeah. more but I feel like the way that you're writing is the same way that when we talk to like thriller and suspense novels it's like Harlan Coben told me the same thing he's like I have to make my last page of every single chapter something that makes you want to turn the page to the next chapter I'm like oh my god it's just like writing for I so like 65 year old white guys are basically middle grade readers it yeah, sounds yeah, like yeah so yeah that's, uh, pretty, pretty, you know audience. what never thought about that but sure <laughs> um, do you have a preference between the two um, I can uh, say no since you're selling both types of books. No, you know, no, because it's, I mean, YA is like my heart and it's yeah. what I started. And, and it's the ones that I come up with the ideas with the quicker. Uh-huh. So like with middle grade, I'll be like, we need a new idea. I'm like, okay, yeah. sure. Get, I'll get back to you on that. You know, because I also need to know it has to be, again, something where there's a lot going on. Yeah. You know, with a YA, you can start with, like, a basic premise and kind of have it be figured out while you're writing it. No. Like, I... Well, the Shelbys, I need to know everything. Yeah. Because I need to know when I'm introducing all the red herrings, when they get, you know, figured out that they're not, and when Watson figures certain things out. And, uh, yeah. So, it's just... It's it's really great to be able to do both. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say that talking to middle-grade readers are the best because yeah. they are, you know, eight to 12 year olds who you walk into their school and they're like, you wrote a book. I'm like, I know. They're like, that's a big deal. I'm like, it's a big deal. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Right. You, you go into a high school Tell and my family, this all the I know. Time. Can I, can I get you on the phone with my mom? No, <laughs> uh, my mom was a librarian. So this is very exciting for her. <laughs> but, um, but like you go to a, a you know, to a high school and you get your eyes rolling, you know, uh-huh. and I'm like, I got you out of math. So yeah. like, you're welcome. <laughs> you're like, let's stop the attitude. But, but also certain books I've written for a young adult, like yeah. they have resonated with teens in a, in a very like meaningful way, which uh-huh. is great as well. So I can't, don't make me choose. Uh, that's okay. I would say like as someone myself personally, like I, when I write, it is very flowery and whimsical and love myself some uh, some inner monologues oh, yeah. I feel like it would, it's probably almost more challenging to write middle grade because of the fact that you have to do like bam bam like you have to hit that attention span well in, in every head. book there is like you can read each book separately although I there, there is discussion of previous cases 
But there, the, the larger arc has to do with Watson and just, you know, when he first comes in the first book, he just, his parents just got divorced. He's first time moving away from his father in a new area. So there is an overarching, like, arc, like, things need to happen with Watson personally. Yeah. But every once in a while, I'm like, there's too much going on with the case. I need him to sit down and talk to his mom about his feelings, yeah. you know? <laughs> Somebody needs to have a sandwich. Someone, yeah, I know, right? It's like 24. I, they have to go to the bathroom. They're, they're children. <laughs> when do you get to 24? When do they eat? I don't understand. Um, so towards the end of our podcast, we like to ask what we call the Nerd Nine. Just nine lighthearted questions. Oh, nice. They used to be... I, I like alliteration, which is the name. Oh, great. Um, but they used to be rapid fire, and they're not anymore because we literally got like almost like hate mail from our listeners. Like, stop saying rapid fire, Adam, because you get on tangents, and it's not what they are. Well, yeah, like me too. When someone's like, "Quick question," like yeah. forty minutes later, I'm like, "Wait, what? What was the question?" Like, but it's hilarious. We will get like we get emails and tweets and Instagram DMs and stuff people all the time, like with comments on all of our stories. I'll even say like, hey, like my co-host who obviously is not here, that'd been weird if she was just sitting here silently the whole time not talking. Yeah. We'll have a whole conversation about something. We'll be like, let us know what you think and we'll get like seven or eight emails. And But this, we got like dozens and dozens of people being like, stop saying rapid fire. And this entire explanation is why they're not rapid fire. Okay. So I'm going to take my time. Good. Okay. <laughs> so first one is, what's the last book you finished reading? I just finished reading Daisy Jones and the Six. By Taylor Jenkins Reid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to have a seven-hour conversation. Oh, my, right now. okay. Did you read it or did you listen to the audiobook? I read it. I um, I, I grew up with a couple of learning disabilities, and one of them is like an auditory thing. So yeah. I, I have to really pay close attention okay. if I'm having a story told to me. But I heard it's amazing. So Do they have 80 million people doing yes. it? Yes. Yeah. So now that you have read it, yes. I still recommend. But yeah. I, my, Which I can do. I can pro- I can do it now that I know. My, so my co-host Jill read it and then said, "Adam, you need to read this." And I was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna get to it." And then she listened to it after she read it and looked at me. It's like, like we. She sits right in front of me. She stood up and looked at me. She goes, "Whatever you're doing right now, stop and download this book." It's yeah. The way that they do the interviews. Is there music in it? Yeah. <gasps> Is it like singing and at, stuff? They don't do singing, but at the end they play. The, okay. Yeah. But yeah. All right. Uh-huh. So we're like again, no spoilers for anybody. Yeah. Then. Oh, uh, if people who listen to our podcast, we've spent like the last three months, like I think like once every other show, we're like, so this Jones in the Six. It's, yeah. They, you know. Anyway. Well, this, and you know Reese Witherspoon, I think has optioned it. And don't you think Emma Stone needs to play Daisy Jones? One hundred percent. Right. Yeah. Like there's no question. Yeah, it's like almost famous, but even better. Somehow. Yeah. I'm so no, okay. obsessed. <sighs> so good. Had to get that out of my system. Uh, favorite place to read? Home. I usually read, like, yeah. Well, actually, at, in my apartment, generally, but it is now summer. It is. And my building has a pool. So I usually go down there to work because there's no Wi-Fi, so I get a lot done. So if I get enough work done before I can't escape the sun under an umbrella at some point, I will bring a book down and then read. That's actually why I get all my writing. I get a lot of my writing done on planes because I can't. Yeah. Everyone's yeah. like, I can't write on planes. I'm like, I can only write on planes. Um, yeah, do you, like you're trapped. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you remember the book that made you fall in love with reading? Yeah, I struggled with reading when I was little because I had dyslexia as well. So I really couldn't read until I was in like fourth grade. Yeah. <laughs> um, and... It was. It's funny because I've grown out of most of my learning disabilities. Every once in a while, it'll flare up. And I was doing an interview like a couple years ago, and the question was, "What was the biggest obstacle you had?" 
to overcome. And I happened to be home and I said, mom, what do you think my biggest obstacle is? She goes, I don't know. You couldn't read until you were in fourth grade. I'm like, oh, right. Because I kind of, I don't want to say forgot about it, but it wasn't like I didn't talk about it. Yeah. You know, and then with doing the Shelby books, talking to third and fourth graders, I, I make sure to point out that I had a problem. Yeah. Um, so when I finally started learning how to read and becoming a reader, it was the Betsy Tacey series yeah. by Maud Hart Lovelace. Like all of a sudden I finally could read and became obsessed and had to read like all of the books. That's how I was as, as a kid. And then I got into the Sweet Valley High books. I had to read all of them. Uh-huh. And then in high school, I started reading Stephen King. I had to read, like, all of those. Yeah. I became a very... And then Cynthia Voigt had to read all of hers. Yeah. Like, I'm just an obsessive. Awesome. Now I'm like, I'll read the first book in a series. I got too many books to read. Ugh, you and me both. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, what is one place you like to travel that you have not yet been to? Ooh, I... So, top... I really want to go to Singapore. I haven't been to Asia yet. Okay. And especially after seeing Crazy Rich Asians. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I want to all, eat all that food. Um, <laughs> and I really want to go to Iceland and yeah. Portugal. If you come to Cleveland, we have direct flights to Iceland, which is random. Oh. Yeah, we don't have direct flights to... I have to like go through Chicago to everywhere I fly for this job. Yeah. But somehow I can go right to Reykjavik. That's so interesting. Yes, I don't know. Um, are you a coffee person or a tea person? Tea. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Good answer. Uh, <laughs> I'm a cat. I'm a dog person. My co-host is a cat person. Oh, okay. She's not here. Uh, what is your favorite holiday to celebrate? I love Christmas. Yeah. I just like it. You know, it's just a very festive time. Mm-hmm. Thanksgiving, I start playing my music. Got to get Mariah on. Oh, we do ASAP. it the week before. Yeah. I yeah. sometimes if it, or it snows before, I'll. Put it I on. hate when everyone else is like you can't do that. I'm like, don't tell me how to celebrate my holidays. Get off my lawn. They're playing Christmas music out there. There's a Christmas tree up. It is yeah. June. It's a little weird. It's May. It's not even June. Okay. I know. I know. Um, what's your favorite food? Cheese. <laughs> I'm from Wisconsin originally, so, so, so that's probably like, cheddar. Yeah, well, I love all cheese. I'm not, like, discriminatory. When they're like, what kind of cheese don't you like? I'm like, Equal I don't understand that Jesus. question. But I do like a good sharp cheddar. Yeah, and sharp like, and the like Sharp and salty. Cheese. Yeah. Uh, and then this is the one that everyone always gets mad about. What's one, if you could have dinner with one person alive or dead, who would you pick? Jane Austen. Oh, you did that so easily. Good job. How do you? Yeah. Okay. Love her. Last question for you. What do you hope readers take away from reading your books? Well, I... I first want them to be entertained and enjoy reading them. I don't want it to ever be, like, a, a slog. Um, but, I, like, my books, I don't want to be, like, there are lessons to be learned. But yeah. I think before my YA books, I always make sure, like, my teen girls are, are strong characters, yeah. even if they're going through something like the character in Past Perfect Life. And even if the girl ends up with a guy at the end of the book, that's never her main goal. <laughs> like, because I especially think when you're a young adult, if you don't have a boyfriend, it's not a big deal. Like, right. I remember being in high school thinking, oh, I don't have a boyfriend in my life. So, no, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You, like, it's fine. Like, you're okay. Like, high school should be about, like, finding out who you are and, your, and who your friends are. Like, and, and that. And so I always wanted to be a character that's relatable, but also someone who just won't put up with crap. <laughs> that's perfect. I love that. Uh, Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us. This was thank so much fun. Thank you. Thank you. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Rakuten Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. 
This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.